Hello and welcome back to the Entrepreneurial Coder Podcast. This is the show where I talk to developers who are also into business of one form or another, and I try to get a sense of how they got to where they are and how they do the things they do. So if you're a developer who wants to get into business, or maybe if you're already in business and you just want to see where to go next, then hopefully this show is of value to you. This is episode 31 with Zeno Rocha. Quick announcement, I have just launched my latest teaching focus, which is going to be on security for React applications. You can find it at reactsecurity.io. So if you're a React developer and you want to find out how to do things like add authentication and authorization to your app, if you want to find out how to harden your front-end React code, then I've got some courses that will show you how to do just that. There are some free course offerings. There are some pro courses. Hopefully you can find something that is useful for you. Head over to reactsecurity.io to check it out. My guest today is Zeno Rocha. Zeno is the Chief Product Officer at LifeRay Cloud, a newly created LifeRay Inc. division. His lifelong appreciation for building software and sharing knowledge led him to speak in over 110 conferences all over the world. He's now focused on bringing the cloud revolution to the enterprise market while also building and selling digital products on the side. When he's not working, Zeno likes running, watching movies, and eating cheese. For his last one, he even created an app for it. Zeno, welcome to the show. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. Very excited to have you here and chat about your adventures in uh, side project, uh, I guess, monetization or, uh, you know, selling selling digital products online. Um, you have tweet, been tweeting recently about your uh, success with, um, I believe it is a it is a font that you are selling and, and sort of some design assets. What uh, tell us about your uh, your recent digital product sales, what those are all about? Sure, sure. Uh, so I'm a software uh, engineer, and I've always been passionate about open source. It's something that it's really it comes natural to me. I love that model as a way to help other people and things like this. So I've always been passionate about that. And recently, I I was looking at my open source portfolio, I would say, and I wanted to start learning more about sales. And I never did that in my life. I never thought about monetizing i always actually hated that idea i was very uh, against that it was almost like against my principles in a way which is very silly thinking right now but uh, that's how I, I used to think and yeah so i, I launched this uh, digital product it's called dracula pro which is basically a premium version of this uh, pretty much this uh, theme for uh, developers. So uh, you probably use some sort of code editor, some sort of IDE, and uh, you need like different themes for that. And uh, that's what Dracula does. It's pretty much a unified uh, visualization and uh, standardization of all your system with uh, the same colors. And the whole uh, premise is that you uh, keep more focused by not switching contexts between different apps all the time and you are uh, just doing what you do and focusing what you do best which is code. Gotcha. Okay. And so I'd love to get into uh, your your kind of mindset shift and, and you even spoke about it just there where you mm -hmm. used to be kind of out of principle 
against the idea of selling your open source work or finding mm -hmm. a path to monetize it in some way. So mm -hmm. we'll chat about that in a bit. But um, on the the whole idea of selling a what what are some sort of like uh, additions maybe to your current code editor? Um, have you come across, or maybe even was it? Was it ever a point of, a point of resistance for you to think, should I be selling offering for sale? Would anybody be interested in buying something that's kind of like a nice to have thing on top of their current code editor? Because I think a lot of people, when they're looking at the things they create, whether or not they'd be viable for sale, uh, maybe a, a common sort of uh, boundary for people uh, is that they they think if it's just a nice to have thing, maybe it won't there won't be so much of a market for it. How did you sort of figure out that hey? there's probably a market here for people that would want to actually buy this thing that's a great question because i i thought a lot about that so uh if you think about it nobody really buys themes for your code editor right mm. people don't even buy their code editors like mo right. most of the most famous code editors nowadays uh, we have visual studio code that's free uh there's uh, vim that's free uh, there was Sublime that you actually you could pay, but it was not obligated. So uh, I think for a very long time, we as developers were just not used to even buying the software that we use to code. Uh, n imagine uh, a plugin on top of that. Imagine just like colors, just a color palette. Why would someone buy a color palette? And that was my rationale. Like, okay, how can I... Uh, make this something that uh, is actually useful and it's not just uh, something that it would just okay help you aesthetically and it's going to be more pleasing for you but there's no value on that so i think the biggest challenge for me was when i was putting this together uh, i was always thinking okay how can i make this something that can transform people's lives right because that's how that's what people are interested on. They are not interested in something that is just gonna, okay, looks cool. Uh, they're in actually interested in something that will make them more productive. And that's what I, uh, that that's where my head was at. So I've always thought about why would people, like they install their, their, their IntelliJ, they install their, their, their code editors. Why would they even bother changing the theme? why they would even bother installing a new plugin, why they would even bother with all these things. And for me, at the end of the day, I think it's because they want to be more productive. That's the core of everything. They have those tools, they want to be more productive. So uh, I had to put a lot of thoughts in how I'm gonna package this. Hmm. And the way I did package this was, okay, I'm including the themes that what people are most interested about. Uh, that's what they are here for. I'm including fonts because that's what also, it's a very big part of it. And after I did that, I'm like, okay, I'm still not transforming people's lives with this. I'm like, okay, this is very cool. I would definitely buy nine bucks for this, but this is not transforming anything. So hmm. I I thought about, okay, I'm actually gonna put also a ebook on top of this that hmm. will uh, bring more ideas. So. It was a matter of, okay, combining and compiling all these things together. And we can go into more details about pricing strategy and things like yeah. this, because that was also involved during that process. 
That's cool. Yeah, I think I mean that seems to be a crucial element. It's something that when I talk to a lot of people who have uh, written books and and self-published their eBooks, mm -hmm. a common theme is that in order to make it a, a more attractive offer for people to mm -hmm. to pay at a higher price point, it's not so much uh, you you can't so much just rely on selling the the PDF itself. Oftentimes, if you want to come to a higher price point, it requires packaging it with other mm -hmm. elements, right? So maybe some. Yeah interviews with folks in the community, mm -hmm. maybe some assets or whatever, that mm -hmm. and some code files, you know, what have you, packaging that mm -hmm. together. It seems like to me, packaging is really uh, one of the best strategies around for, for selling digital goods, because as soon as you put together, you know, a, a bundle for people, there's just this, there's, for me, like speaking personally, there's this attractive element about it where it's like, just there's a psychological thing that happens where I'm thinking, hey, there, I'm getting a lot of stuff here. Look at how many things are in this little package that I can buy, right? So I think that's uh, that's that's pretty crucial. Let's chat about um, your your journey going from this, like we talked about, this mindset, mm -hmm. uh, being kind of just wanting to do open source, being um, a, you know a little bit uh, allergic perhaps to the idea of, of wanting mm -hmm. to sell online. Um, tell me about that transition. What uh, what changed and and when did that happen? That's that's great. Yeah. So I was uh, noticing certain trends you know, happening in the world in general. Let's say. Uh, there was one trend where Apple launched their new iPhone and now there was the iPhone and there was the iPhone Pro. So I noticed that and I saw a lot of people also looking at this Pro and how th there's such a psychological effect when you're like, oh, are you a regular or are you a pro? And right. everybody wants to be a pro, right? So. Uh, I noticed that I noticed other patterns like you with iPhone again and I'm even an Android user but I'm, I'm picking these iPhone examples uh, when they launched dark mode and now hmm. suddenly uh, the whole ecosystem of Apple now was uh, having to support dark mode and adopting that and there was huge uh, trend around dark mode as well so I was paying attention to that uh, and looking, I'm always like looking at the world and, and trying to identify patterns. I think all of us programmers are like this. And at the same time, I was looking what was happening with this side project of mine. So uh, I noticed that the project was becoming popular, the open source. Uh, I noticed that uh, other people were making profit of it. So there were like the Bear app, which is a very famous note-taking app. Mm -hmm. They have a Dracula theme on their paid tier. So if you want to use Dracula there, you have to pay. Okay. Uh, there was a person that reached out to me last year. They wanted to do a mechanical keyboard with the Dracula colors. And I was like, okay. oh, this is, that's so awesome. And for me, like I was so supportive of that idea. I didn't even think about getting any cuts of that. I was like, oh, let's do this. This is going to be yeah. awesome. And I think they broke. The, it was like record sales for, their, for the, the shops that they did that. And I was seeing like, okay, people are profiting out of my work, right. which is okay if I if I decide that it's okay, right? But yeah. uh, I was like, okay, if they are doing it, I can do it as well, right? And yeah. I was seeing all these little things happening. For example, the operator mono font was mm. everywhere. And this, if you don't know about what this font is, I'm pretty sure for the listeners, they're probably uh, remember seeing these like code snippets where there's some fonts that are italic and some fonts of mm. other weight. So it's like yep. a something that became a trend, and that font was like 200 bucks. 
I was like, oh my gosh, people are willing to pay 200 bucks right. to have a font to code. If they are willing to pay for this, I think I can build something that they would be willing to pay as well. Yeah. So I was noticing all this and on my nine to five life, uh, I was also recognizing that, uh, man, just coding is not enough, you know, hmm. and it gets you very far. It's very important. I, I'm always going to be a developer my whole life, and that's what I love doing. Uh, but I noticed that sales is a very important skill. So looking at all these things and putting all this together, that's what uh, led me to this point where, where I'm like, okay, I'm going to learn more about sales. And the way I'm going to learn more about sales is by doing it. I, mm -hmm. I bought a bunch of books uh, and then I was like, okay, I started reading one. I liked it. Oh, okay, there's some ideas, but uh, it doesn't matter. I can read 10 books. It's not going to make me a better yeah. salesperson or not, not a, a salesperson. It's just not going to make me a better human being with sales skills. I yeah. have to practice it. So that's when I, I decided to do it. Okay, very nice. And uh, if any of those books were helpful at all, though, do, do you have any recommendations uh, that folks can check out? Yeah, there was this one book, it's called Launch. Uh, the subtitle is very like salesy and the kind of things that they push developers away, which I hate it. And, uh, but if you get past that and you figure, you're like, okay, let me get past this and I'm gonna just go for the content, it's pretty good. And it, the book is basically about uh, a launch strategy and how okay. you, uh, it's very nice for people who are uh, selling courses and yeah. consulting kind of products where you launch, you put your open cart for a month and then you create uh, a lot of buzz and then you close and then people cannot access it again and then now you launch three months later and then it's even bigger. So there's right. like some, some techniques around that. Uh, but what I got the most was about the mental triggers that you can use to influence mm. people. So uh, it's hard to say even the word influence because it's, it's such a strong world, right, a mm. word, right? You don't want to influence people neg negatively. Or, but with sales, you have to lean them into a certain direction, right? So right. that's what I, I try to pick on those mental triggers and try to put that on my copy on the website too so yeah. like again if you know who you're selling to uh it makes things so much easier right uh i know that developers are not gonna just believe any bullshit i i say right so <laughs> i had to put like technical content uh really things that were really uh they will show the value of the product not just some some random uh yeah. sales copy Gotcha. Is that is that Jeff Walker? Is that who authored that book? Yes. Yes. Okay. Gotcha. I I I remember reading at least part of that book. Um. And and one of the things from it that really stuck out to me was when he talks about. I believe he's talking about reciprocity, where there's mm -hmm. you know this psychological thing that goes on in all of our minds, or most of us, hopefully, is where if you're giving things out for free over the course of time, um you're going to in your audience in in their psyche they're going to kind of establish this thing where they feel like they want to give back to you and maybe they don't even maybe they don't feel it like explicitly all the time but when it comes time for you to then offer something for sale they're they are far more likely to want to 
open their wallet and, and buy your thing because you've been providing them value for so long. Uh, was that a, I mean, you, you, you had this uh, open source free version of Dracula. Um, beyond that, did you have an approach for, or is that something you thought a lot about is like reciprocity, giving things out for a long time, building an audience that way? Um, did you have that in mind as you were leading up to your product launch? Yes, definitely. And that's also the strategy I tried to use before the actual ask, right? So uh, one of the things that I got from the book, which is like a no-brainer for so many people, but for me, I, I never paid attention to that, was uh, like he was always saying in the book, like, oh, if you take one key takeaway is that you need to do a mailing list. That's all. Hmm. Just do a mailing list. And I always thought like, oh, email is dead. Like people don't even right. see newsletters. It's just a bunch of spam. And I couldn't be more wrong about it. Um, so I was like, okay, I'm gonna blindly believe on this. And I think that this is very important for many things in life. Like if you wanna lose weight, you have to blindly go to, to the gym and think that, okay, three months from now, I'm gonna see results. I'm not gonna see every day. Right. I'm just gonna go blindly and I'm gonna see it uh, if I keep doing this consistently. That's what I, that my mentality for this mailing list. I'm just gonna blindly believe on this. I'm gonna put just a embedded uh, form for people to subscribe and it's just like a very small call to action, nothing else. So I did that and then leading to the launch, I wanted to, I knew that I was giving this project away for free for a very long time. Uh, but I, I needed to remind people about that. So yeah. I was doing uh, a sequence of emails that will lead to that moment. So I remember the first email was, uh, this was right in January uh, 2020 now. And I was compiling the themes that were most popular last year and then showing the numbers. So right. being transparent about numbers is also very important. Uh, I was showing like, oh, now we have 80 themes that are available for free. Okay, now that's awesome. So then all these things leading up to the to the ask where uh, you don't have to lean, you don't have to use that as a way for people. Like I never say uh, on the copy like, oh, and help supporting this project. I never say this. Right. Know? Yeah, I say like, okay, this is the product and people will... Uh, subconsciously think oh I want to give back you you should yeah. never expect that type of behavior you should do your best so they come to that conclusion themselves yeah yeah I like that a lot yeah that's an interesting point on the uh, the way that you know the, the the support this project button doesn't always have the effect that I think open source maintainers want it to um, mm -hmm. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Kitsay online I had him on the podcast and he uh, he's got this this product Sizzy that you know helps you do um, responsive design very easily and his article around the time that he launched that was GitHub stars don't pay the rent um, you know you can mm -hmm. have a big GitHub presence, very popular open source projects. Uh, however, you're not going to likely be, be bringing in enough in support money uh, for your open source work to make it worth your while, you know, financially. Um, so I like your approach of, of, you know, working with the potential customer to say, hey, here is a bundle of stuff that is going to provide you value. So rather than you just 
giving me money because you like what I do, here's something that's going to benefit you as, as an end consumer, right? And it's based on the open source stuff, but hey, you can you can go further with it with this product that I have. Um, exactly. You, you can't rely on people just uh, uh, giving you money because you were nice in the past. Right. You have to give something that is really, uh, that is going to help them today. Yeah. Totally agree. Totally agree. Uh, tell me about your because you are posting a lot about this uh, journey that you've had on Twitter. The the tweet that you've got recently where you announced uh, the sales. So I, mm-hmm. I'll read it now. Zero to uh, twenty thousand one hundred forty five dollars in two months with a side project. Uh, very mm-hmm. popular tweet. Tell me about your approach, I guess, to talking about this on Twitter and whether Twitter has been a good avenue. Uh, for you to to bring in customers for your products, or maybe if it's more so just the, um, if it's more so just like the kind of like talking about the business aspect of it that is, is more attractive. I, I'm always curious about whether Twitter works really well to drum up sales or whether it's uh, email strictly that is the best avenue for that. Yeah, I think you can't. You have to use whatever you have available. You know, uh, it can be even sending an SMS to your coworkers that uh, that they can benefit from the project. Uh, for me, I looked what what I have. I have my personal Instagram. I have my Twitter. I have my LinkedIn. Um, and then there are things that I don't have, uh, but I could do. I could post. So there's Reddit. There's Product Hunt. Indie Hackers. All this. And uh, another thing that I noticed was that that people being transparent about their numbers was creating this side effect of Mm. just trust. And it's a very marketing, uh, a very powerful marketing tool, being transparent too. uh, Because everybody's afraid of being transparent. People don't wanna show their numbers. They are afraid of uh, even I'm afraid of that, right? So when I post mm. those numbers, like I remember posting on my Facebook, you know, and then there's like your uncle that is seeing those kinds of things, right? right? It's There's so many other things that goes in your life that is not just about yeah. your, your bubble. Uh, and it's really hard to uh, have like my coworkers from nine to five looking at those things and now they're texting me and saying, hey, don't leave us, ha huh? <laughs> they, they come and say, "Hey, rich guy!" Like, you know, yeah, it's yeah. it's really hard because that's not the impression you want to give to other people, you know, on your family or your coworkers yeah. at your regular job. So it's really, really difficult. But uh, I remember on this was Saturday. I woke up Saturday and I was like, "Okay, I just want to write about." Uh, a side like the po- the power of a side project because it's something I always believed I always did in my whole life. Uh, it's all it was always a creative outlet for me because uh, in any work that I did in any company that I I worked at, you were always limited to the technology stack that that company has to offer. And right. if you want to experiment with other languages, if you want to experiment with other types of problems, you have to do on the side. So I'm always been passionate about this. So Saturday I wrote that text and I think I spent uh, maybe, I don't know, uh, 30 or 40 minutes writing that thread. Uh, so then it was like around, uh, so Saturday like 11 a.m. Uh, I was like, oh man, it's already too late. I'm on the West Coast. Hmm. Uh, it's already too late to post this if I want to get this viewed 
in the East Coast and also in Europe. So I was like, okay, I'm going to post tomorrow, but I want to do on the weekend because I, I like how weekends are, are the time that we, we have a little bit of free time, right? So right. I wanted to post that. So I posted on Reddit, I posted on Indie Hackers, and I posted on Twitter. So got a little bit of traction on Indie Hackers, nothing too big, but got a little bit. I posted on Reddit and people were like going super hard on me because they were saying, oh, you're self-promoting. <laughs> you're like, okay. oh my gosh. And I was like, man, I just want to give a inspiring story to you. Like yeah. I was crushed on Reddit. Wow. Uh, and I had to like justify myself. Sorry guys, I'm not self, I'm just sharing numbers and I, I'm trying to inspire people to do their side projects too. And then, uh, you know, on Twitter, it got like viral, right? So, huh. uh, it's it was super interesting to see the yeah. to, to see the dynamic how in one place everybody loves it and they're like thank you so much for sharing that yeah. message I'm gonna start my my new thing right now and on the other place people are, are crushing it so th this was also a lesson to me that uh, <laughs> you you can't like either think that you are a hero by publishing something or that you are a villain because you're not none of those you're just you and you're trying to be your right. best. Um, but yeah, I, be I, I believe Twitter is still very relevant, especially if you yeah. can get that type of traction. But it's, of course, it, it doesn't happen all the time. Uh, but when it happens, it's amazing. I, I was just opening the, the dashboard here that uh, I have like for sales. So yeah. I made, so this, the Twitter was the one on Sunday, right? So I made 12 sales on Sunday, which was 600 bucks. Uh, 33 sales on Monday, which was like everybody was starting to retweet on Monday, was a thousand and six hundred bucks, and then on Tuesday six hundred bucks, and then yesterday eighteen sales nine hundred bucks. So it was wow. like around four thousand in the last four days. It's a great bump. So yeah, it's it's insane. Like I never thought that I could reach those numbers, and yeah. for me it's. Yeah, it's just unbelievable. I, I see those things and I, I just can't believe it. It's yeah, <laughs> it's, it's hilarious about Reddit. And any kind of, I think what, what's going on there from my estimation on places like Reddit is that people like you, maybe before now, couldn't, you couldn't, can't really conceptualize that these kinds of numbers would be possible. And perhaps, you know, just because they, they, they aren't in the mind space that that it is possible. Maybe they're just, they, they push back against it. And I remember seeing a tweet, uh, who was it? Do you know, uh, do you follow Ramit Sethi on, on Twitter? Yes. Mm -hmm. So he, he posted some uh, screenshot or link to Reddit where someone was posting about their uh, consulting rate, I believe it was, with mm -hmm. some, some astronomical rate, like mm -hmm. $600, $700 per hour. And, and, uh, and people were put were basically trying to tell this guy that he can't he shouldn't be charging that much even though this guy is able to get customers at that rate he's making a ton of money he's making millions per year charging this rate people were saying no you you can't charge that rate is effectively what it came down to so i think people you know often just aren't if if they can't really conceptualize it being possible they they push back but but yeah i find the same thing twitter seems to be different in that respect which is interesting mm -hmm. You yeah, there, there was there was one guy on Reddit. He was telling me like, "Oh, you're such a stupid person. You shouldn't share your no, numbers I... because now your competitors are gonna see it and oh, you're gosh. profiting on this sub niche. And now you you wouldn't be able. You're not gonna be able to profit anymore. And yeah. it people think that 
by uh, sharing a story, this is gonna now like everybody's gonna start doing it at the same time. It's not how it works. Yeah. It's like when your uh, uncle comes to you and say, "Hey, I have this amazing idea to build a new Uber for X, and it's gonna be like this. Can you build the app for me?" And they don't realize that like building an app like Uber, for example, is so easy nowadays, right? Yeah. It's not a big deal. You can get React Native, Flutter, like anything that is like cross-platform, you can start developing. Uh, you need like some charging, there's Stripe, you need to get geolocation, it's already on the phone. There's, it's not a big deal. You could do a clone of Uber in a day. Uh, right. But the thing with the, that made Uber successful was not the technical aspect, was not the app, was the whole entire operations chain and connecting the drivers with uh, the people who need yeah. drivers. So there's so much more to business and you, you shouldn't be afraid of competition, right? I'm not mm -hmm. afraid of someone else creating a new theme and start to monetizing that. I'm actually going to yeah. love it. Uh, yeah. So you shouldn't be afraid of sharing your, your numbers and being transparent because it just gives you more leverage. Yeah, totally. That's great encouragement. And I mean, the fact of the matter too is, especially if you are an indie uh, developer selling digital products on your own, oftentimes people aren't buying the product because it's the product. They're buying it because Zeno is selling it, right? Like you, they're buying it from you. So trying to duplicate that, not gonna be so easy to do. Um, and mm -hmm. I think that's what people have to keep in mind is like, if you've established yourself as someone who provides value to people mm -hmm. um, for free over the course of time, mm -hmm. it's you're, you're working yourself into a situation that is impossible to duplicate. People aren't going to be able to just copy what you're doing and, and hope for the same results. They they won't find them. You're able mm -hmm. to get those results because of the work that uh, that you put in. So I always recommend that people kind of shift shift their perspective on it uh, that way, which it sounds like that's that has sort of uh, been the case for you. It's, it's, it's you kind of realize that people are, you know, buying a product from you um, because you've given them value over time, not so much because it's just a, a cool theme, right? Yeah, um, it's it's not like you are creating the product. You are the product. You are part hmm. of it. And that's why people buy it. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um, tell me about your uh, approach, I guess, maybe getting a bit more technical now. I see from the screenshot you're using Gumroad for your sales yes. platform. Um, did you consider any other platforms? I, I just uh, spoke with Marc-Andre Giroux, who's uh, been very successful with his, his new ebook, and he used Shopify in his case to, to sell his book. So different options out there. I see a lot of people going with Gumroad. I've used Gumroad before, very happy with it. Did you have any, um, how, did, how did you come across it and did you consider any others? Yes, so I, uh, I looked at uh, into others. Um, my number one option was Stripe and I thought about using that. Uh, but then I was like, okay, I need to offer updates and I want to make it in a way that people can simply buy new, uh, get new versions and download new versions uh, very quickly. Uh, there maybe in the future I want to do affiliate marketing. Uh, I have no idea what this is about. I, I need to learn it, but I, maybe one day I'm going to do that. So I was looking at Gumroad and also another thing that I noticed, again, looking at the patterns and looking what was happening, is that I was seeing other creators uh, using Gumroad more and more. So my Twitter feed before was just developers, always like technical content, everything uh, about that. And then there was this one guy, um, I think his name is Daniel Vassallo. Yeah, he's been on the podcast, yeah. 
Oh, he's been. Oh, that's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So he was a huge inspiration for me because I saw his. Um, I saw what he did with his book on AWS, and I'm like, oh man, this is amazing! Like how much traction he was able to create. Yeah. He's being transparent. He's showing his numbers. So I was looking at those patterns. Uh, there's also uh, Levels, which is a guy that does um, remote working. He also shares mm. those, those things. So I was like, man, this is so nice. And uh, I saw that uh, there was also Tailwind, which was uh, which is a CSS library that they also used uh, Gumroad. So I noticed the platform was having some hype and people mm. were buying products also because it was on that platform it's almost like if they, if there's a product that is on this platform now there's uh, good uh, reputation because other good products are from that platform so I kind of wanted to experiment with that path and I couldn't be happier to be honest because awesome. even with the the fees that I have to pay on each transaction uh, the they have like their own kind of marketplace and they recommend products to others. And I think I, I made maybe like 200 bucks or something that already covered most of the fees that I, that I have over there. So nice. it's, it's really, it's, it pays for itself uh, basically. So that's why I love it. But I'm, I'm super open to using other platforms in the future. I'm not married to none of them. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, Gumroad's great. I, I've been very happy with uh, the results from it uh, in terms of, I mean, the 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 integrations they've got, the um, just the, the the you know the dashboard is is nice. The it's it's simplistic. I I, I like it for those reasons. Um, and yeah, I've been I've been very happy with it as well. I'll I'll probably continue to use it. Um, I wonder about uh, email uh, marketing for you. Do you have anything specific that you use? Uh, I'm using something very simple, to be honest. I'm using Mailchimp. Uh, yep. It's something. It was so easy to set up, and um, yeah, it was very straightforward. Uh, but I'm. I do consider switching to something else. I was looking at uh, ConvertKit, yeah. Uh, and more and more, I feel like the emails that truly convert, that people really open and they really click. Are the ones that don't have any fancy images, yeah. not a fancy template, and that sort of thing. And I saw that, uh, I, and I'm, that's what I'm doing on Mailchimp. Uh, but I heard like some bad reputation about Mailchimp getting to the promotions mm. tab, that sort of thing. I'm not seeing those those things to be honest. Uh, I think my emails are getting sixty or seventy percent open rate. So nice, that's, that's high. Yeah. Yeah, it's high because it's a new list and it's still very hot, mm -hmm. I would say. So I, I'm expecting that number to drop. Uh, I'm <laughs> going to do my best to not, but uh, I expect that to drop. Um, but yeah, I'm, uh, I'm pretty also open to other mailing tools and those are the yeah. ones I'm using. I only have like around uh, 1,600 contacts right now. Okay. This. So that's that's actually a great ratio for uh, email subscribers to revenue from your product. That's 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 a, a really good ratio because um, you know you you see other launches that have 
many thousands of email subscribers, but maybe don't do quite so well in terms of that that ratio. So that's that's really good. You've got really good engagement. That's something. It's something that I wonder about because I've got a list uh, on ConvertKit. I use ConvertKit. Very happy with oh, it. Nice. Although it's 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 more it's much more expensive than something like yeah, MailChimp, right? There's a heard. cost. They have a lot of features that make it worthwhile if you really use them, and I have not used them to to their fullest extent. So I, I have to figure out what to do there. But um, ConvertKit's great. Uh, but I, I have, cause I've, I've been collecting emails for, for years now and I've got a, like if I, I don't know, it's probably half my list if I were to look at it that are in the cold subscriber category now. So that means they haven't engaged with an email in a long time. Mm-hmm. And I'm wondering about what to do, whether I just send them like a, Hey, if you want to stay on the list, click here. Otherwise you're going to be removed kind mm-hmm. of thing. Um, which I may, I may do at some point, you know, people, people move on from their interests over time. And unless you're continually engaging with them, which I have I've done a very bad job of doing, you know, they, they don't always have reason to, to stick around. Um, so we'll see, but, uh, but yeah, convert kit is, is great. I'd recommend it. Um, so you've got, you've got your mailing list through MailChimp. You're using Gumroad for your sales. Anything else that uh, is in the mix that helps you with your, your product uh, selling? Uh, I think uh, in terms of tooling uh, in distribution channels, that's pretty much it. But I think there's one aspect that was really crucial that helps me with sales is the business model, I would say. So uh, if you think uh, about it, like nowadays, everybody just uh, uses SaaS for everything, right? It's right. all about subscriptions. Uh, everything is pay X per month or here's an annual plan and you pay uh, higher and I believe uh, that the SaaS market is really saturated I think there's uh, I think that SaaS is still the best subscription model uh, is the best pricing model ever I think it's yeah. unbelievable it's, it's truly the best if you think about it it's, it's amazing however I don't think that people truly try to understand uh, the implications of doing SaaS hmm. and they don't under, and they think that because SaaS is one of like the best models ever created that their product should fit the SaaS model hmm. so what I mean by this is uh, the, I'll give this my product as an example right uh, I have to do a lot of work up front to create a theme for a particular uh, application for example right now people are asking me Oh, can you create a theme for Visual Studio? Okay, I'm gonna create for Visual Studio, not Visual yeah. Studio Code, VS Code. That's already there, but just Visual Studio. Okay, so I have to open Visual Studio, understand how it works, create a theme, and then see how it looks, and then I have to try it for real, use it myself. So there's a long process, and then I launch. After that, there's a little bit of support, but it's very minimal because I already did most of the work up front. And the yeah. code editors, they don't change as much the, the theme structure and all this. So it's fairly uh, modest, the support that I need to provide. Okay, based on this, uh, I was looking at my product and I was thinking, okay, this is similar to a book, right? You spend like a month or three months or a year writing. There's a lot of upfront work. You launch the book. And then after you launch, there's not much work that you do, right? It's, mm-hmm. okay, making some corrections, maybe adding another edition, making some slight changes, things like this. Uh, so in, in books, it's not a subscription. You don't pay $10 a month for your book. You buy the book and then that's it. So I will, 
that's what I thought about doing with uh, Dracula. So I'm like, okay, I'm going to do this as a one-time purchase. Hmm. And I think this is a differentiator. Because with subscriptions nowadays, when people look at the pricing table, when they're ready to click subscribe, they think, oh man, another subscription. I already have Netflix, I already have Spotify, I already have HBO Go, I need to watch Westworld. Uh, there's like all these, <laughs> there's all these things that they start remembering and all these yeah. subscriptions. And now there's this feeling that everybody's overwhelmed with subscriptions and then there's all these apps that help you cancel subscriptions and that you're not right. stuff like this. So I think there's a lot of uh, mental effort that people uh, spend with before they click subscribe on a subscription. However, on-time products, one-time purchases, right. I think they spend very little. It's like you're on Amazon, you see something that you like, maybe yep. not right now because of COVID, but before you're just like, oh yeah, I want this, boom, click. Yeah, it's uh, Amazon Prime, it's okay, it ships tomorrow. Uh, I'm fine. Uh, and that's same with books, right? You know, if someone recommends you a good book and you trust that person, you don't really think about it. You're like, mm -hmm. you'll probably already have like three books in your queue to read it. But if something that you really, someone that you really, uh, that inspires you and you like their ideas, like if they recommend you, you're gonna buy the book right away and then you're gonna yeah. figure out, oh, I'm gonna read it this like a month from now, whatever, just stay there. So that's how I think this was a, another crucial part for, for the big success that I saw. Mm -hmm. Because, uh, yeah, I think it's very related. You have to think about your product. not You have to think about your product first and not as your pricing model first, right? I think it's mm -hmm. people get it backwards. They try to fit their product with the, the pricing model. I think yeah. it's the, they should do the opposite. What is the best pricing model for what I'm trying to so yeah i think that's wise i mean i i never really considered that but i can see that now in in some of the conversations that i've had where often it's people they know they want to do a subscription model so they try to mold whatever they're offering to fit that model and maybe it just isn't a natural fit always so so i like that work on the product get it to its state and then worry about if it's a subscription service or if it's a one-time sale i've been thinking a lot about that too one-time sales versus subscriptions because you, you see a lot of uh, indications, at least I am on Twitter these days, about how our current COVID situation it has been creating much more churn for subscription-based uh, services. So like learning platforms, uh, SaaS apps, these kinds of things. They're seeing a lot more churn these days as people are getting uncertain about the times that we're in, uncertain about the market. And so, I mean, I guess, I guess they've got their trade-offs. Uh, I guess like maybe you could argue that you can have similar kinds of revenues over the course of time, but if you're doing one-time sales, perhaps it's like much more in lump sums at various points throughout you know, the year or over the course of years as you are developing your product and then launching it. Um, with that in mind, do you have uh, thoughts about how to sustain revenue, how to keep it growing over the course of time? Perfect, yeah, that, that's an amazing question because uh... What I definitely don't want to advocate is that one-time sales is better than SaaS because I think subscriptions are always the best. And with one-time purchases, you have to keep the momentum going, right? So the way I see this, uh, this project is just the start of what I'm doing, you know, with my side hustles, so I would say. I still love my job. I don't want to leave it. Uh, I want to be there for many, many years. So. 
those side projects, uh, they are not my main source of revenue. The more I make of them, the best, right? So I think this is really important and it also translates to your sales copy. Because if you are that person, and I follow many people like this, that they are always pushing for you to buy, always pushing, always pushing, buy my stuff, buy my stuff, buy my stuff. Right. That's so tiring. Uh, you have to make it in a way where like, you don't care about the sale. You're like, mm. okay, I'm here. Oh, you want to buy it? Okay, that's awesome. But creating that kind of scarcity is, is really nice and uh, it really helps drive them. That's why some people do that this technique where they close the sale and like, yeah. okay, you don't you can't buy after this time because now you, you're pressured to, to click and buy. Uh, so my plan is to expand on this. So I have this uh, book coming up. Uh, it's something that I, I want to, it's going to be part of this project, but I, I want to also sell it uh, separately and maybe look at other uh, higher ticket uh, options like doing some courses, that kind of thing. Hmm. Uh, so I see a lot of potential in that area where, uh, like, what, how are people, uh, like, maybe they want to learn more about their code editor, maybe they want to get more. Uh, educated on what's there uh, yeah so I was talking to a guy he works at uh, Adobe and they were like discussing the success of uh, VS code from Microsoft and he was like sharing me some numbers that I didn't know uh, they have like around 8 million active users wow. so okay. doing like a course just like to learn that tool man it's it's already it's a huge market so yeah there's all these little things that I'm playing with, but you also have to be real to uh, who you are and mm -hmm. what do you represent as a brand, right? I have many options that I could uh, start doing and going crazy and starting se start selling all these uh, digital products and just to get another extra 10 bucks. Right. But that's not the point, right? That's not who I am. Uh, I'm not here to just profit on on top of other people i just want to make yeah. build stuff build stuff that i'm proud of build stuff that i truly believe and um yeah so i definitely worry about uh keeping up with that number and increasing mm. and like keeping the momentum uh but at the same time i know that's not the the finish line yeah, totally. It seems like once you get your first taste of making a dollar online, you kind of get, at least this has been my experience and the experience of many I've talked to you, is you get you get a little bit of hook to it and you start really thinking about the possibilities about you know what you can do beyond your initial product, um, which is great. I mean, the, it's just an amazing time that we live in to be able to sell things that make us money as we sleep, right, um, through digital products. I wonder, because I get a lot of questions from people who don't so much have an idea for a product that they want to sell, but they know they want to sell something. Mm -hmm. uh, so often these are developers who, you know, they've got specialized skills in various areas and they think, you know, I can probably do something of a product, but they don't really have a path is there anything you'd recommend for folks in that situation for how to think about it how to maybe take small steps even mm -hmm. yeah i think that uh there are a couple options here right so if you don't have an idea uh and you really want to start doing something i i think you have to look at your surroundings and uh really try to understand what are your what are the things that you do on your personal time uh, what are the things that you research when you're not working? 
Uh, what are the things that when you're procrastinating because you don't want to do the work, what are you procrastinating with? Uh, and try to identify those patterns, right? What are the things that you are in conversations with your coworkers that you are really excited and people notice how excited you are uh, mm -hmm. and you feel naturally excited to talk about that topic. So what are the things that you're sharing online and that interests you? What are the things that you retweeted in the last 100 days? What are the, the, the trends there? So hmm. you start mapping your interests, right? And then looking at uh, how people are solving problems around that interest. Uh, how, what are the, the mobile apps that people are creating? What are the SaaS companies that people are creating? What are the books that are being written about that subject? This will give you an idea of how you can find your way around it. Right. And once you're ready to start, it's just starting and making sure that you, you finish it. I think mm. people, uh, it's so easy to start a side project. So yeah. easy. It's, and it's the best feeling in the world. I know because I, I, I know how it feels. You're like, okay, <laughs> you're opening a new folder. Oh, everything's <laughs> clean. There's no technical depth. It's all yep. new technology. Oh man, like a new repo on GitHub, zero commits. Oh, it's just the best. Going story. to buy a, a new domain. There's the, yeah. in the world of possibilities that opens up as you find the domain that you want. Man, I can't tell you how many notes I have about like crazy ideas. And I start like laying down the whole idea. I create yeah. the brand. I know how the logo will look like, how the colors <laughs> are going to be. I know the domain, man, I have like tons of those, yeah. uh, but like, okay, we're actually starting and finishing. It's so important. And yeah, totally. For folks out there, I would really consider uh, open source as a distribution channel. Okay. Uh, it is a long game. If you want to do that, uh, make sure you're ready because uh, if you're just doing this to make an extra buck, there's so many other things I, I would recommend you do a book do a uh, course like do something else but yeah. if you want to build like something big and you are willing to wait to see the returns i think open source can be amazing and you look at stores like wordpress right they are mm -hmm. they were doing things like they're 16 percent of the entire web runs on wordpress it's something yeah. like it's a crazy number like this so it, it always started with 30 PHP files that yeah. you download from WordPress.org, you put your, on your FTP using FileZilla, and then you're good to go. <laughs> so, uh, it, but now they're, they're a huge business. They make a lot of money. And then you yeah. have Elasticsearch, where they were just doing this search layer for Java. And then now they, like Red Hat, they were doing this Linux distribution. They bought by IBM for like billions of dollars. So, I like there's so many cases where people do something as open source and they turn that into a profitable company later on. Uh, that's definitely that's definitely not the path I'm I'm gonna do with this small project that I have, but I think it's it's possible. I've seen so many times, and the you can think of this just like people do free tiers on their SaaS products, right? Mm. You go there, you start using, you get a taste. But with open source, people can actually contribute back. They can then share the word for you. There's just a different network effect around uh, open source. 
and it's a great distribution model in my opinion yeah totally i like that a lot um so talk to me a little bit then about if someone wants to like maybe if someone doesn't have an open source um project going are there any things that you would recommend for how to maybe not even like setting aside the whole idea of monetizing it somehow in the future mm -hmm. what 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 are some things that folks should have in mind when they're thinking about having it be a successful open source project is there anything specific or is it more so because i've always wondered about open source that way like the projects that have gotten popular are they is it just because of the conditions at the time perhaps and the where the world was at at that time that you know it needed that product and, and it just so happened to reach the right channels to to make it go viral if that's even a thing in the open source world uh mm -hmm. is it is it that or or can you can you go into an open open source project and be like i'm gonna do these kinds of things to try to make it more successful man this i love this topic so much i'm so happy that you asked this question so I have another project called Clipboard.js. Okay. So this is- Oh, a... I've used Clipboard.js. I've used that. Really? That's oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah, so I just opened now. So Clipboard.js, at, at this right moment, it has 28,000 GitHub stars. Okay. So you can say it's a fairly successful and popular project over there. So uh, there's so many things uh, that I can attribute to the the success of it uh but s some that i i find like the the major ones was definitely the ratio that you spend doing the actual library or software versus doing uh the marketing side of it so okay. what people usually do they create a new github repo they spend a weekend doing the the library or whatever the software is mm -hmm. they push they do a really good job on their readme they spend like very little time on their readme something like if other if some other developer tries to run the same exact instructions it doesn't work uh it's incomplete there's not enough demos on how to use it how to apply to their own needs and then they launch and then they see zero stars or they mm -hmm. see three stars after a week or two weeks so they don't try to distribute on hacker news or other places they don't try to share it with others they don't uh, do their their homework mm. and most importantly they don't try to make it attractive i think that's a huge mistake um, i remember with clipboard.js uh, i knew i wanted a name that was like represents completely what I, I was trying to solve so but the clipboard name was already taken on npm so I, I reached out to the to the package owner. I asked him, "Hey, I'm doing this. Can you uh, please transfer? I know you're not using very much." And then, he, like, I was able to convince the person. Um, I don't know if the domain was free or if it was not at the time, or if I had to contact someone. I think I had to. Yeah. So the domain was taken, mm -hmm. and I had to contact the owner. Also, try to convince them. I didn't have to pay anything for the domain. I. Mm -hmm. It was just like. Uh, they were like, oh, yeah, it's cool. It's like another developer just uh, handing this off. That's cool. Uh, and, and there's like, and then I, I, I remember I spent maybe like a weekend or three or four days on the library itself. And I spent like three weeks on the landing page in the instructions. Okay. Yep. And the site is a one page site. It's the simplest site you can ever imagine. There's nothing there. If you open, you're going to see like, oh, this guy spent like three weeks doing the site. It's so silly. 
but I wanted to make the instructions nice. I wanted to be mm -hmm. something that was interesting. The tagline, just the tagline, I remember spending a lot of time. I wanted mm -hmm. to be something short. It's like, okay, modern copy to clipboard, no flash. So th this was uh, at a time where flash was the only way to do a copy to clipboard before. And uh, again, like thinking about antagonism and how to create a story that you have a hero, you have a villain in my yeah. case, this is the hero, like there's no flash and flash is the villain. Uh, and then the other piece of the tagline is just three uh, KB G zipped. So what is the hero is like, oh, it's small and performant. And the villain is all oh, bloated JavaScript frameworks that people don't want to put on their sites because they're, uh, they're gonna make things lower. So like all these little things that you do that you try to uh, explain. Uh, there's this very famous TED talk from uh, Simon Sinek where he talks about start with the why, right? Yeah. So always start with the why. People usually start with the how and then they explain that they start with the what, they explain the how and then they talk about the why. And Simon Sinek, he advocates for start with the why and then you go down to the other parts. That's exactly what I did. The first thing you see on the readme is a why section. And it's me talking about, I'm gonna read it real quick. Copying text to clipboard shouldn't be hard. So first of all, I'm trying to make this as something that is really small, right? And then it continues. It shouldn't require dozens of steps to configure or hundreds of kbytes uh, uh, to load. But, mo but uh, most of it, it shouldn't depend on Flash or any bloated framework. So that's why Clipboard.js exists. So awesome. having something that is com uh, compelling, and now you're like, oh yeah, that's exactly what I needed. Now you you convinced me. I'm, now I'm gonna try to figure out how this works. Uh, but I already like, I already have the person there with me. So yeah. those are things that uh, you can really look for. And uh, the timing is also important for sure. Uh, with this library, I remember seeing this API that was being built uh, it was already available in Chrome and it wasn't available on Safari and Firefox. And then I created when it was being developed on, on Safari and Firefox. And then I was, the project was ready to be launched. I had everything on my machine. I could put this, the site live at that moment. And then uh, I, I decided to wait on purpose until Firefox had it because then it will be available now on all the mm. major browsers and people wouldn't complain that it doesn't work right. in one of the other. So then the moment that Firefox launched and then I launched the project. So you you can time things and uh, you can look at if you're working with uh, bleeding edge uh, APIs, for example, you can time browser support, that sort of thing. But yeah, yeah it's I think this whole, the idea of making an open source project uh, I believe that pe some people do because of the, uh, just like by the stars, you know, and, and stars don't pay bills for sure. Uh, but I think you can transform something that has a lot of stars into something that has a lot of uh, 
the money symbol. I don't know. How <laughs> well, the dollar signs. Yeah, yeah. Dollars. I think I think that's right on it. And I mean, we touched on this before, but it's like playing the long game, right? It's not yeah. something that's going to happen overnight. And I think going into it with that expectation, you're just going to set yourself up for disappointment. So you, your example is a great one where like you've you've played the long game. It's been years in the making, and and now you've ended up with uh, with something that you've you've monetized from open source, which is which is super encouraging for a lot of people. I think. I love. I I was gonna say I love in in your why statement because we you talked about like the heroes and the villains, mm-hmm. and it's something I think about a lot is um, because humans are are primed for stories and we want to hear stories, especially those that adhere to these archetypes, these hi- historical archetypes of like heroes and villains that uh, that mm-hmm. that those are what make great stories often. And so in in your your why you've got the villains, the hundreds of kilobytes is a villain, the flash is a villain, and then mm-hmm. there's the hero which is clipboard js. So I I love how you've constructed that that why statement. I think people can take a lot from that. Yeah, and on the Dracula site, if you go there too, mm-hmm. uh, com slash about So this is where I described the story of how I started this project. And it's a crazy story. It's one of the crazy stories in my life where I was in a hospital and then uh, I was there for three weeks. Uh, my coworkers brought me my computer and then I was working and then suddenly I left my room to grab some water and then uh, my computer was stolen inside the hospital. And then the next day they got me a new computer they brought me a new computer for me i was traveling i was going from spain to germany from germany to spain actually and then uh the next day where i had the new computer you know like the feeling you have a new machine now you have to install everything again that's when i decided oh i think i'm gonna create my own thing because i want something that is uh (laughs) just similar in all in all applications i never told that story i never told that story and I put this live like a month ago. And it's so true, like this was a huge moment in my life. I was actually, it's something extremely personal. I don't tell that story to it, like lots of people. Uh, just It's just a moment in my life where it was like, I was, man, you don't know the feeling of being in a hospital for three weeks alone. It's just insane. Uh, but I decided to tell, I was like, okay, I'm gonna tell this. And because it's part of this this project. And there's so there's such a and I'm not even talk, of course like uh, some people even buy because of that right but that's not the main reason I did that it's because it's part of that thing you know that I created yeah. and I want to express myself and put it out there so I, it's so powerful stories are so powerful and people should tell more about them tell about why you created your thing how is your uh, open source project better than something else or how is your ebook or course or whatever you're creating your app is better because and it's it, it's really powerful it's really powerful even for yourself to know yeah. where you came from like just to put that on, on the paper you know it, just to help your mind it, it's really nice totally i think that is great advice probably a good uh point to start wrapping up on before we do go though is there uh anywhere that you would like to direct people to we'll certainly link out to draculatheme.com where people can check out dracula pro uh where can people find you online uh i'm zeno rocha everywhere so z-e-n-o-r-o-c-h-a on twitter github uh yeah everywhere so you can find me there 
great. We will link that up. Well, Zeno, it's been a blast chatting with you today. Thank you for sharing your story and uh, encouraging folks to try something out of their open source stuff. And, uh, and you know, with the encouragement to uh, know that there is monetization that's possible out of a side project, that's, <clears throat> that, that, is, uh, that is a great story to hear. So uh, congratulations on, on your launch and all the best in the future with it. Thank you so much, man. I really appreciate it. And uh, I love, as I said before, I love your idea. I love the fact that people are talking about how programmers are being able to monetize their work. So yeah, keep it up with the, the good work too. Awesome. We'll catch you around. Thank you so much once again for tuning into the Entrepreneurial Coder podcast today. This has been episode 31 with Zeno Rocha. You can find show notes, including links to all the resources that Zeno mentioned at ecpodcast.io. If you'd like to follow along on Twitter, it's twitter.com slash coderpodcast. And if you'd like to subscribe, you can go to ecpodcast.io slash subscribe. And if you enjoyed this episode, it would be awesome if you could leave a rating and review. Until next time, happy hacking.